Hi, I'm Anna McEwen, and this is The Epic Narrative. And now, my dad, Bob Switzer. Wow. Oh, man. This is, this is, this is a great story, isn't it? I mean, we left off, right? Joab, he goes to uh, Gersher, uh, probably takes two, three months to put all just to go to Gersher and bring Absalom back. Absalom uh, sets up house again in the city. He's got his family there. Uh, he's got, he's, he can connect with his, his brothers, but he can't connect with David. And this is significant. This is significant. Because he can't go see the king, it means that he is royalty in name only. Does that make sense? Like there's, it's it's like he has a title of prince, but everyone knows that he actually can't do anything because he doesn't have the right to see the king. And so for two years, I, you know, he has this he has this churning within him. Now I'm sure when he first arrived, he had a lot of people he wanted to connect with. Remember, he'd been gone about three years. Um, people want to know where he's been. People want to know how it was. I'm sure he had to uh, discuss some things with his brothers. I mean, he killed one of the brothers, right? The crown prince, Amnon. But they probably also understood because Amnon had raped Tamar. And that was that's a big deal. Like, those are family violations that that within that culture, it was it was kind of like, well, David didn't do anything to Amnon. Absalom had to. And the brothers who were all present... Remember, all the brothers were there when when he had uh, Amnon killed. They were they they you know they get home from that little adventure, and now they've spent three years, brothers in isolation, not isolation. Brother is in exile, eighty miles away. He's you know which basically in today's world like that's the other side of the world almost like you don't you don't travel eighty miles. It takes you know weeks to get there. So no one's seen him. They probably hear things from him. Uh, They might have even um, had a few discussions. I think they probably had a few discussions because David spent those years learning, longing, Bob, use the words. (laughs) That didn't mean what you want to say. He spends those years longing for Absalom. And I'm sure at some level the brothers... The brothers understand that, and they put that together in their own minds, and and eventually they kind of know. Listen, it's it's gonna be fine. Like if Absalom comes back, like we understand what he did. It's not cool, but but it's also not cool what Amnon did. So that's really between them. It's not between us. And Absalom finished the project. Uh, Dad didn't take it. Dad didn't do anything. Dad's. I mean, he provides everything. We get it. He's a he's a wonderful guy, and clearly, all you know, his wives seem to think he's pretty good, except for Michelle. Uh, but you know, he's kind of absent from our lives, anyways. So it was really up to Absalom to decide what what was supposed to be done, and and he did it. And I'm guessing Joab was aware of this. They might have even talked to Joab. Remember, Joab is is. Uh, a nephew to David, so he's connected to all the brothers. I don't know how cousins, second cousin, first uncle, third, third cousin, twice uncle removed. I don't know. I don't know. Anyways, he's connected. I'm sure that they had a few family conversations because remember Joab. Joab's been listening to David Pine, 
for Absalom for years. And he finally puts it all together. I've got to find a way to bring Absalom back because David really wants him. And I know the brothers are going to be fine. So Absalom shows up. And for two years, probably, well, maybe even for the first year, he's he's at first uh, having dinner and connections with his brothers and his and his cousins and his nieces and nephews and the royal family and everybody's well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do now that you're back? What are you going to do now that you're back? I don't know. I don't know. Like I, I need to get in to see dad. And then after a year of that, he's out at various gatherings. Uh, he's connecting with people that in the marketplace and they're all like, so what are you going to do? You know, can you, can you make this decision? He's like, no, I actually don't have any authority. Uh, I'm just, you know, I'm just here. I'm just happy to be back. Just happy to be back. And I personally think that toward it, it toward the second year, I think that's when Ahithophel started to interact with Absalom. Because the, well, it doesn't happen in this chapter. The next chapter, we'll see. There is there is stuff that gets put into motion. It starts in this chapter, but it really goes into motion in the next chapter that that doesn't just happen without a lot of preparation and a lot of conversation and a lot of innuendo and a little bit of deceit. And I think Ahithophel saw in Absalom the figurehead he needed to have not a military overthrow, but to have a, a political coup to, in essence, put somebody in charge of the country and have enough of the leadership of the country fall into alignment that the rest of the country just says, whoa, uh, I guess David's out. And I think he looks at Absalom and he says, "That's I think that's my man. He's got enough hunger. He's got enough ideology. Oh, man, do young people have ideology. They know exactly how everything should be done. Am I right? It's so, it's so interesting to watch, you know, especially – Protests and it, I've I've watched protests my whole life and I'm an old man. Everyone who protests always knows the right way to do things. Like abolish this, you know, stop or stop doing that. You know, no more oil, no more oil drilling. We're gonna blow up all the oil rigs. And it's like, no, you can't just like I. It's great ideologically. Yes, oh, no more oil. We 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 can all live without it. No, no, you actually can't. And we don't have to. Do we need some more education on what it's doing to the to the world? Probably. Do we need to understand, you know, what regulations might help us treat the world better? Yes, absolutely. Should one country be the only one who does all the regulations? No, it should be a worldwide thing. Like there's, but it's complicated unless you're an idealist, and then an idealist or visionary. <laughs> They're all like, well, just do it. Just let's make a decision. Boom. Stop everything <laughs> or burn it all down or stop funding every, you know, that particular group of people. Just we'll just do away with them. Well, then, well, then what's Who's going to do what they do? I think I talked about this in a really early podcast. I forget which one it was because even though I'm pre-recording all this pretty much one day after after the next 
an episode every day. It was, it was that long ago that even I don't know when it was. But we talked about like all the so many like terrorists and uh, insurgents. They can go in and it's easy to blow up the government buildings and tear down the the police state. And then what? And then everybody lives in poverty because nothing's getting done. And everyone lives in fear because there's no one to to stop the bad guys from raping, pillaging, and destroying. And it becomes mob rule. It's one of the beautiful things about the country is that it's, it's a republic, not a democracy. And the difference is huge. But most people don't know that. At least usually the idealists don't. They, they, they don't know it. They're like, no, I'm an idealist. If we all do it my way, then everybody would be happy. <laughs> and that's exactly the type of person that that Ahithophel's looking for and what he sees in Absalom. Somebody who is idealistic, somebody who is who is, you know, well, it, we'll, we'll read the next verse, right? Verse 25 of uh first second Samuel, sorry, chapter 14. In all Israel there is, was not a man so highly praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom, from the top of his head to the sole of his foot, there was no blemish in him. I mean, honestly, people, what an amazing thing to have written about you in the Bible. I mean, if you're going to have it written, don't have it written in a yearbook. In most, okay, there's a lot of people who have no idea what a yearbook is, but don't have it written on the internet because who cares? It's going to get buried. That's basically what yearbooks do. They get buried in the in the in a library somewhere, and then in a box because you moved, and then the box is never opened, and then literally at your funeral, everybody's you know everybody's going through your old boxes and they pull out this old yearbook. They're like, "What is this? Oh look, it's a picture of great great grandpa." They're like, "What are these things? A yearbook? Oh look, somebody thought he was cute. Oh look, somebody says they love him." Oh, isn't that sweet? No, Absalom has this written in the Bible, a book that is going down through the ages. Number one bestseller for like a hundred years or something like that. It's crazy to have this written. He was flawless. His entire body was flawless. He didn't just have a beautiful face. He didn't just have amazing hair. It was everything although his hair was he was known for it it was evidently very long it wasn't it was heavy or thick it might have even had some wave to it a little body to it and he probably accentuated it it was probably tied back and and you know soaked in various not soaked but treated with various oils and conditioners so that it was smooth and wavy and shiny and it was distinctive and for two years, he's wandering around, life at home in Jerusalem. He has a wife. He has three sons, by the way, three sons and one daughter. What does he name the daughter? He names her Tamar after his sister who was raped, who, by the way, is also still living in his house. And he, she probably never left. She lived her life just totally destroyed by the rape. And don't even start, don't, if you're, if you're, one of your thoughts is, well, she should have gotten over it. That's, no, that is not your call, bro. That is not your call. She didn't get over it. And culture had a lot to do with that. 
Her brother thought she should get over it. Remember Absalom's result? His his reaction after she tells him everything, he's like, "You need to stop crying. You need to you need to not let this destroy you, and you need you know basically get on with your life." And and she never did. She stayed in that house, so she's there. And then during that time, he ends up with a daughter, and he names her after uh, his sister, which I think is pretty is pretty significant in that he still wanted to try and bring healing and res, uh, redemption to that name. He wanted he wanted that name to be known in a positive light because it it literally much like he's known as this beautiful man Tamar's known as the the woman that was raped by her, you know, by her uh, half brother. It's it's not a it's not a great reputation. And she was beautiful as well. She, you know, came from the the same gene pool as Absalom. She was she was distinctive. She stood out. But Absalom was beautiful. Absalom was was so good looking. Like he's one of those guys that that you know every girl would think, dang. <laughs> and every guy would think, wow. I sure am glad we have arranged marriages in uh, Israel because. None of us stands a chance <laughs> if Absalom was still single. There's not a chance. Every girl would remain single in the desperate hope that he might choose them. Absalom's the type of guy that could have, like he would have had dozens of women, wives just volunteering to be with him. Just, yes, I'll marry you. I know it's complicated and it's terrible and, and I shouldn't have more than one wife, but I'll be one of your wives just for the sake of being connected to you. That that you know I could have children from you. And he cut his hair. Oh, the, the next verse. Whenever he cut his hair, and he used to have his cut once a year because it became so heavy, and it would weigh two hundred shekels. What? Yeah, you want to know how much that is? Five pounds. Do you have any idea how much hair you have to have to have it weigh five pounds? That's a thick, long braid off his head. And it grew that way every year. Every year. And I have a few I, I, I get I get the sense given who he is and, and what he do. He made a show of it. And there was people who probably uh, bartered, traded, um, auctioned for that hair because it was perfectly kept and it was conditioned and it was smelled amazing. Oh, yeah, this guy was mm, three sons and a daughter. So the daughter named with Tamar, she she was a beautiful woman. Imagine that. That's the next verse. A beautiful woman. Yeah, he had, he came from a good gene pool, real strong gene pool. But what's he gonna do? All this is going on. Three sons and a daughter. Long hair, beautiful man. Everybody knows it, but he feels empty inside. He is royalty only in name. He cannot get in to see the king. He cannot make things right with his father. 
And remember, remember now he he again he's a patient, calculated uh, 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 tactician when it comes to politics. As calculated and as brilliant as his father is in military tactics, Absalom was that way when it came to political tactics, and that's why I think Ahithophel was drawn to him because he he knew he could appeal to Absalom's understanding, the long-term understanding of what it would take to overthrow his father. But the first thing Absalom had to do was get access to his father. He had to become somebody who was recognized more than just in name only or for his good looks. Purpose is an amazingly, uh, you know, purposeful thing. (laughs) Yeah. Purpose is something that, if you don't have it, if you don't know why you're doing what you're doing or what you want, if you know by getting it done, it'll eat it'll eat you alive. I've seen people like this. They don't know, you know, they're they're going through the motions, but they don't know why. They're going to church, they don't know why. They they go to their work, they don't know why. They're like, what am I doing this for? Why am I here? Nobody cares. It it it'll it'll self perpetuate you into such a tailspin. You'll end up depressed, dis- despondent, rejected. You're constantly feeling like a failure. Like this is the direction that Absalom's going in, but he knows if he if he can get in to see his father, that can change. And I believe that was Ahithophel's pull. He's like, he. I think he talks to Absalom, and Absalom says, "I can't. I can't do anything. My dad won't see me." Ahithophel says, "Then get in to see your father. How? How am I supposed to do that?" And he says, "You'll find a way." So he does. He does. He sends for Joab. Now, Joab knows why he's being sent for. He knows. Joab Joab was his advocate. Joab was you know, a relative. Joab had access to the king. Joab was the easiest on-ramp to David. Joab was the one who put together the whole drama with the, with the actress in order to get uh, you know, Absalom back to the city, but evidently that's where Joab had had stopped. He was done. He did his best. He got Absalom back to the city. He got David to see that there was a way to show mercy to his son and not to kill him for you know for killing the crown prince. Yada yada yada. And Joab was done. And and Absalom's like, he's my best bet. I need to reach out to him. So he reaches out to Joab. Joab doesn't come. Now, I don't know how long he waited. I'm guessing it was maybe a week, maybe a month. But he sends it to him again. And Joab doesn't come again. Listen, Joab understands military tactics. He understands military strategy, and he's aware enough of diplomacy to know that he's not going to get sucked into the politics of being summoned by someone who has no power. He's not going to be seen as a guy who shows up when Absalom calls him because Absalom has no authority. David's in a, in a good situation uh, with, with the nation and with Absalom. Joab's in a good situation with David. He, he helped David see a way to bring Absalom back. He set up Absalom nicely in the city. 
Absalom can do just about anything he wants, but he doesn't, you know, have authority in the politics, but whatever. David's in a good situation. Joab's in a good situation with David and the nation. Absalom's in a good situation. There is no reason for Joab to go trottling out to Absalom's house when Absalom calls him. And he knows that if he does this, if he just shows up when Absalom calls him, it's going to look like Absalom has power and authority. Joab at this point does not want to look like he is shifting any sort of power and authority from David to Absalom. This is, this is really important. And Joab understands that. So he doesn't show up the second time he's summoned by Absalom. And I'm thinking, if I'm Absalom, and I believe he's getting some advice from Ahithophel, Absalom's like, listen, I, I tried, okay? I sent for him twice. He won't come see me. Ahithophel says, not good enough. Find a way to talk to Joab. Joab can get you in to see your father. Absalom's like, I... I Joab knows I have no authority. I have no way. I have no weight. My words mean nothing. I can command him. I can demand him. I can't. If if he doesn't come, if he doesn't want to come, he doesn't come. I've waited and waited. He still won't show. I'm hoping, you know, maybe we'll run into each other at the market. Nope, not good enough. Absalom, come up with a different plan. So Absalom's out in the fields. His fields are going, doing great. He's making lots of money. He looks over and he realizes that Joab's fields are right next to his. And the barley is about ready to be harvested. He thinks, I know how I can see Joab. And he tells his servants, Light that field over there on fire. Now, they're right next to each other. So it has to be one of those fires that, you know, everyone knows it's not actually going to burn down the whole nation. I don't know how it was divided, if the roadways were there, if there was water around it. that would There was something going on. Absalom would not have lit the fire, you know, the, the field right next to his on fire if his field would have also burned. There was There was a difference. There was something going on here physically that he knew I could burn Joab's field and that'll get his attention. So they set it on fire. Smoke is billowing. People are yelling. There's, there's, you know, there's a servants of Joab's servants that are running out of the fields because the barley's being burned. They're trying to put the fire out. They probably are putting some of it out. They're digging holes. They're throwing dirt. They're splashing water. They're, they're cutting a fire line, so to speak. They're, there's all kinds of ways that they fight this. There's lots of activity. And, of course, Joab shows up. Why? Because he gets a message wherever he's staying from one of his servants. The, the barley field's on fire. You need to come down right away. He rides down there. And when he does, he sees, uh, he sees what's going on, and he realizes, all right, this was not... It, these things don't just spontaneously catch on fire. And I'm guessing there were servants around that were like, Absalom's servants came and lit your fire, lit the fire. They came running over and 
and lit your the barley on fire. Well, who, who told them to do that? Oh, Absalom. Absalom told him. I mean, everybody knew Absalom. He was the best-looking guy in the country, written down for all of eternity. Everybody knows who Absalom is. Everybody knows what he looks like. So Joab goes to Absalom's house. He goes, so uh, why'd you set my fields on fire? Why'd you tell your servants to set my field on fire? And again, this is a this is a one-sentence uh, version of an entire conversation because I'm sure when he showed up at the house, he was probably greeted nicely. Joab, okay, everybody knew Joab too. It's an honor to have you here. The servants bowed to him. They washed his feet. And in that culture, hospitality is huge. It is it is the essence of who they believe God is. Even to this day, if you show hospitality, you you show it to everyone, including your enemy. It was it's not unusual in the Middle East that during during warfare and during battles, that if you if you come upon an enemy and you need a place to stay, they will give you a place to stay. I mean, remember, even David went to the Philistines when he needed when he needed hospitality. He needed a place to stay, and he goes to the Philistines because he's like, this could work. And it turns out he realized this isn't actually going to work. I probably should not have showed up with the with the sword of Goliath on my back. So that turned into that situation. But generally speaking, there's a there's a a, hosp- a level of hospitality hospitality that is much deeper than that of the United States. It might be something close to the southern the, the stereotypical southern hospitality. So they they take off his shoes, they wash his feet, they give him a nice pillow, they bring him drink, they they let him know we're going to go get our master and and Joab takes all of this. He's not impatient, he's not angry. He knows what's going on. And he waits, and in comes Absalom, and Absalom sits down at, at his little place on his big pillow, and he's he's like, you know, Joab, it's a pleasure to have you here. And Joab, after after Absalom speaks, Joab can speak, and he says, why did you have your servants set my field on fire? And Absalom says, oh, look, I I sent word to you. I I I asked you. You know, to come here so I can send you to the king and ask the king a question. I, I had, I, you know, I, I sent for you. Maybe, maybe you didn't get the message, both of them, because I sent twice. Because you see, I have a message for my father, and I want you to deliver it because you actually have access to my father anytime you want. I, you see, I don't. I'm not allowed to see my father. I'm not allowed in the presence of the king. But I'd really like to be. So I'd like to ask you a question. And I'm asking him this question as well. Why have I come from Gersher? It would be better for me if I were still there. I want to see the king's face. If I am guilty of anything, let him put me to death. Now he's asking this of, of Joab, but he's, he's asking Joab to ask the king the same questions. Why did I come here from Gersher? It'd be better if I was still there. If I'm guilty of anything, then put me to death. This is crazy. Do you have any idea of the, the guts that this takes? Because he's saying, listen, I'd rather live in exile because at least there, 
I had some authority. At least there I was connected to my mother's father, right? His maternal grandfather. I, I had some authority. I was part of the royal family, but I had some authority. I was, I was gaining in popularity. People liked me. People listened to me. I come back here. I got nothing. I'm also like, it's a waste of my time. It's a, he's literally saying it's a waste of my time to be with my wife. It's a waste of my time to be here with my children. It's a waste of my time to be connected to the brothers. I'm done here. If, if I can't see the king, I'm done here. Wow. Now he knows what he's doing. And when he says, if I'm guilty of anything, let him put me to death. This is an all or nothing play. This is, this is, uh, you know, he's a very patient gambler, and this is everything to the middle of the table. He's playing his hand. Why? Because he is guilty. Remember, he killed his brother. There's, there's no doubt. Multiple witnesses, as well as, you know, whatever Jonadab, who, who knew of the plan before it even happened. This is a big deal. This is this is this is a big deal. He knows how to play this game. Tell my dad to kill me if I'm guilty. Now he knows David's not going to kill him. Because David didn't do anything to Amnon. And David knows that because he didn't do anything to Amnon, Amnon got killed by his brother. So David feels some level of responsibility for Amnon's death because he didn't do anything. He didn't discipline him. He longed to do something, but he was he was captivated by fear what can i do i can't kill him he's my son absalom's like i know dave's not gonna kill me i know dad's not gonna kill me because i'm his son he didn't kill the guy who raped his his daughter he's not gonna kill the guy who killed him for raping his daughter oh man this is this is a this is a big power play that's what this is but if he's not gonna kill me then see me I want to see the king's face. And if I'm guilty of anything, let him put me to death. In other words, I want to be put back into political relevance. That's what I'm asking for. I want to see him. I want authority. I want power. I want influence. And if I'm not guilty, then why don't I have power and influence? And if I'm guilty, then kill me because this is just stupid that I'm hanging around here in the city doing nothing except looking pretty. Wow. You like I picture Joab's you know, face like he's sitting there on the pillow and he listens to all of this and he knows everything that's being said. He knows the implications of what is going to happen when he brings us to David. He knows that he better have a plan because odds are David's not going to kill Absalom and he's going to see Absalom, which will put Absalom in a place of power and authority again, which means Joab has somebody else to keep track of when it comes to potential death of David. And they waited. Now picture Joab. He gets up from his little meal, goes back out to the field, the fire's put out, the servants are, are exhausted, he gives them all an extra dose of water or wine that night and thanks them for their hard work. 
He goes home. His wife's like, hey, what happened today? Heard the field caught on fire. Yeah, yeah, God, it did. It, uh, it got on fire. And, uh, yeah, it turns out Absalom had his servants light the fire. What? What are you going to do? Well, actually, he's been wanting to talk to me for a while, and uh, he wanted to get my attention. So, so, so what are you going to do? Well, he wants to see David. And just by saying he wants to see David, his wife would have known he wants back in. He wants political authority. He wants a, a place of, uh, of influence. And he said, basically, if David doesn't want to give him that, then David should kill him because sitting around doing nothing is not a game he wants to play. Wow. Seriously? Yeah, seriously. What are you going to do? Well, what can I do? I have to tell David. Well, when are you going to tell him? I'm going to tell him in the morning. Guy burns down my field. He can wait 24 hours. I don't I don't need to run up there and do that. So the next day he goes in and sorry, he knows I'm going to keep swallowing. Uh, he, <laughs> my poor producer's like, oh, I got to get that out of there. He listens to, you know, or knows David's routine. He knows, you know, where David's going to be, and he waits for the right moment, and he says, uh, so, uh, David, I, uh, I talked with Absalom yesterday. You did? Yeah. How, how is, how is my son? Uh, well, uh, he's good. He's good, actually, um. Yeah, his fields look good. That's for sure. Better than mine currently. Yeah. Uh, what happened to yours? Well, there was a little fire. A little fire, but we got it out. No no major damage, but yeah, Epsom's fields look good. He he looks good too. You know, man, honestly, he is probably one of the best looking guys I've ever seen in my life. David's like, ho, ho, ho. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he takes after his mother, but he is a good looking guy. I had something to do with it. Oh no, David, for sure. I mean, you're a good-looking guy, but as well. But no, that your Absalom is like, he's stunning. Ah, uh, he is. Well, that's good. I'm glad you ran into him. Well, he, he, see, here's the thing, David. There's a, uh, he, he really wants to see you. And David probably looks at him because the way that he used that word "see." He knew it wasn't just wave at him on your way by on the donkey. He wants to see you. He wants to be in your presence. He wants to be recognized as a prince who has authority and power from the king. David probably looks at him and he goes, and one more thing. He said, if... Uh, if you're not going to see him, if you're going to continue to refuse him access to the royal family, then, uh, well, not family, I know, not family. He had access to the family, but he didn't have access to the family, the God, uh, you know, the guy in charge. But anyways, he said, listen, if he's guilty, then don't leave him isolated from you. Just put him to death. David's like, whoa, no way. He said that? Yes. He said he'd rather die than continue living in the city without seeing your face. 
And David looks around and he thought, I'm going to do it then. And he probably looked at Joab and said, what, what do you think? Joab's probably like, uh, <laughs> he's probably thinking, I don't want to keep losing uh, crops, that's for sure. Every time he wants to talk to me, he's got to burn something down. He probably said, uh, it's up to you, really. I mean, I, I, I don't think any of your sons are going to be upset if he comes back in, you know, into the fold, the political end of things. I think everything will be fine. I don't think any of, any of your wives are going to be upset, except for maybe, you know, Amnon's uh, mom. But you and I both know that he raped Tamar. I mean, there's no way around that. And uh, without you doing anything to discipline him, you kind of, you kind of forced Absalom's hand on this. So I don't think he's guilty. I, I think everybody would be fine with it. And the king summoned Absalom. And he came in. Absalom comes in. Now I'm sure that boy is dressed to the hilt. Because he's all about the show. It's not from his heart. It's about politics. It's about the game. It's about finding his place so that he can he can vie for power. This is why I believe Ahithophel is already involved in this in this political coup. Yes, there is some military involved, but it's not everyone. It's mostly political. There's a lot of deception in politics, not diplomacy, but politics. Diplomacy comes from a place of authenticity and sincerity and love. Politics comes from a place of selfishness, of self-preservation uh, and self-exaltation. And this was a move of, of both from Absalom's point. It was, it was a self-preservation uh, and exaltation. So he shows up and he looks amazing. And he bows right to the ground. Just face to the ground before the king. He's showing, at least to all who are watching, he's showing them that he's respectful and he's honoring. And David looks down at the at the floor and he sees his son and he looks around and everybody's you know staring at him. Some of them are probably crying because here is a son that had been in exile, a son that had been without seeing the face of his father, a son who had was now going to be restored and and brought into back, you know, in full regalia and connection. And he picked up Absalom from the ground and he kissed him. I'm guessing on each cheek. And then he gave him a big hug. And the and the you know, in my mind, in my little beady little movie that goes on in my brain, like the whole courthouse court courtroom, the whole throne room erupts into applause. Everybody's excited. Oh, the family is fully restored now. Everybody's back. Absalom's been forgiven. And the 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 concept of reuniting and resurrection and and uh, restoration, all those themes of heaven are, it looks as though all that's happening. Now, I don't think it is what's happening because Absalom's there uh, without sincere motive, but he plays on all the things that he knows God loves and he knows how much his dad loves God and the principles of the kingdom and all this is what he invited his father to do and his father did it. 
just like just like he predicted, just like Ahithophel knew he would. And instead of seeing it as a good thing, he sees it as a weakness. And in essence, his first play, his first political move to take down David is to prove to himself how weak his father is. Because he would have killed Absalom if Absalom was king. He would have killed Amnon if, if he was king. He sees David as a weak leader, a weak father, and somebody who needs to be replaced. But this was the first move that needed to be made in order for that to take place. And I believe from this point on, his plan is in motion. This is not flippant. This was not without uh, purpose. Everything is in motion. And part of me wonders if Joab might suspect it because he is a cunning wise military leader. And I wouldn't be surprised if he looks around and starts to think, I think there's somebody else moving the pieces here. I wonder if Absalom is getting some advice because I'm guessing Ahithophel was part of this whole exchange. I'm sure that David went to Ahithophel and several of his other counselors and said, I'm going to bring Absalom in and I'm going to, I'm going to bring him in. He's going to see my face and we're going to give him authority again. And, and they probably all looked at each other and Ahithophel said, that's a great idea. This will be a good thing for the nation and a good thing for your family. And David's like, awesome. So shall it be. It'll be done. And I think Ahithophel's going, perfect. He's an idiot and he does everything I tell him. Oh man, I'm telling you, this is, this is going to get good. We're going to continue the next time on the Epic narrative. Hey everyone, thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys. <laughs>